0: Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. The power sound has to mirror or transmit emotional content is perhaps one of the most important and valued things. Music brings us as humans, and for some, the main or even only way we are truly able to feel all the feels. We can infuse our recordings with emotional meaning in so many ways, both obviously and subtly. Together, these production decisions will add up to music that you feel authentically communicates your creative vision and truly stops listeners in their tracks and speaks to their soul. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in Sonic Arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. If you've ever tried to expand your recording and production skills, chances are you've come across those YouTube videos. You know the ones I mean. Dry, monotone, made by dudes for other dude bros. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with guys making music production videos on YouTube per se. They can be extremely helpful. It's just that if you identify as female, you may want to learn from women from time to time. And that's why I created my super fabulous free quiz, Discover Your Female Producer Spirit Guide. All you have to do is answer a few short questions and you'll be matched with your music production Sister From Another Mister and get an awesome free PDF with all her tips and tools to help you move forward with your music in the right direction. Just go to femalediymusician.com forward slash quiz. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash quiz to take the quiz now. Well, hello, knob twiddlers. I'm delighted to be back with you for another episode packed full of sonic geekery, unbounded creativity and feminist awesomeness. Oh yes, that's right. You're listening to Girls Twiddling Nobs. Now, if you tuned into last week's episode, you'll remember that I challenged you to guess the answer to this question. The word misophonia is... A. The feeling of nostalgia for a particular piece of music. B. A negative emotional reaction to specific everyday sounds. Or C. The name of a long-forgotten 1930s female-only orchestra. So, obviously, I really want it to be C. I mean, I would definitely watch that film and read that book. But it's actually B. A negative emotional reaction to specific everyday sounds. Did you get it right? If so, have a digital high five on me. But why did I ask you this, dear listener? Well, aside from my love of a good pub quiz, even if I'm rarely on the winning team, today's podcast episode is all about the connection between sound and emotion, and how we can more intentionally communicate this in our own music too. As musicians and producers, emotion is one of the most important elements to consider when making music that truly connects with other people. But sometimes it can be difficult to really articulate how to do this in practical terms. So inside this episode, I'll be taking you through a whole host of fascinating ideas, including how sound shapes our emotions, the way the brain interprets sonic events, why translating emotion into sound is at the heart of music production, and much, much more. And I'll also be giving you three emotion-driven production techniques to try on your own music too. These three ideas will show how you can be intentional about emotionally shaping your music at every stage in the recording and production process. Okay, you ready? Let's dive in. So firstly, I just want to lay the foundations for what we're discussing today. You know, what we mean by emotion and sound and the scope I can feasibly cover in this short time, dear listener. So let's start with how I'm going to define emotion here. So you could write a whole book, no, actually a whole library of books in an attempt to define emotion, right? And clearly we don't have time to do that in this episode and many others have collectively already done so. But it's still important to outline what we mean by emotion when it's discussed in the context of this episode. So in really technical terms, it's just any of the feels. The obvious being happy, sad, bored, guilty, scared, excited. You get the picture. But something we'll circle back to later is just how complicated and at times difficult it can feel to articulate emotions because we're seldom ever only in one emotional state. We're often a bundle of feelings and sometimes they're even contradictory. So in this episode, please know... That when I use the word emotion I don't mean just one single emotion but rather a whole internal messy little smorgasbord of them. Again the subject of what sound is and how we perceive it is vast and this podcast episode will definitely not attempt to be an exhaustive definition but in the context of this episode I'll refer to sound as anything that is sounding. So, yes, that could be conventional musical textures like melodies, harmonies, and rhythms, and it could also be environmental, like the sound of the sea or a busy street, for example. But there are also so many other things in our everyday lives we experience through sound. The intention behind someone's speech, for example, or the reassurance of our cat's purr. Hashtag catlifeforever. These sounds transmit or translate emotion and are also textures we can choose to work with when making music too. So now we've laid the foundations of what we mean by emotion and sound, how are sound and emotion connected? Well, the short answer is profoundly. Our culture is largely preoccupied with things that are visual. If you randomly surveyed people on the street, most would probably tell you that their sight is the most important sense to them and their ability to participate in the world. But this actually doesn't hold up with regards to how our brain translates the world and our place within it. And now I'm definitely not here to argue that sound is more important than sight or that any one sense is superior to the other's. There's no doubt that our perception of light or smell or temperature, for example, is hugely complex and translates so much important information, which is often doused with emotional resonances. But sound has an intimate relationship with us as emotional beings for a couple of reasons, which I will briefly outline. So, firstly, like taste, touch, and smell, we develop our hearing at just 20 to 30 weeks while we're still in the womb. This means that by the time we're actually born, we're already using sound to understand the world and we emotionally respond to this in turn, while our eyesight is still developing. We process sound incredibly fast, much faster than sight as it happens, and this means that sound is one of the primary ways our attention is grabbed and emotions are triggered if you're interested in geeking out a little bit more on this, I recommend checking out chapter 5 of Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience Seth Horowitz's book, The Universal Sense, How Hearing Shapes the Mind. The link is in the show notes. There are a bunch of explanations and internal networks I could go into with regards to sound and emotion, not least our brain's limbic system, but suffice to say we have a hardwired emotional connection to sound. One thing I want to make clear before moving on, however, is that this is a subjective and personal process. So just like someone who's into S&M might think a dominatrix's whip feels deeply pleasurable, it's possible to enjoy listening to sounds that most others would find deeply unpleasant. How many people often say, oh, I love all music apart from heavy metal? Well, a smaller demographic are right at the front of the mosh pit. And have you ever noticed how some people find certain everyday sounds unbearable, while others of us hardly notice them at all? It's not just that they might find them loud and distracting, but they also just may not like how the sound makes them feel. The same is also true of music in regards to how some cultures find minor chords uplifting while others, Western for example, regard them as melancholic. And if you want to geek out on this further, I recommend checking out a journal article on harmonic organisation and culture-specific emotional cues, which I've linked to in the show notes. So now that we've established that there is a very profound connection between sound and emotion, Why is this connection the key to great music and professionally produced music? While our emotional perception of music and sound is subjective, there are ways we collectively experience similar emotional responses to the same auditory information. There's no doubt that Nina Simone's Feeling Good emits a defiant and urgent sense of determination. Pharrell's song Happy exudes an unbounded sense of optimism. Radiohead's Creep more a fatalistic shame. In fact, I was listening to an interesting Radio 4 programme called The Why Factor this week, all about why so many of us love listening to what we collectively term as sad songs, and their ability to provide a therapeutic and cathartic emotional release. What sound has to mirror or transmit emotional content is perhaps one of the most important and valued things. Music brings us as humans, and for some the main or even only way we are truly able to feel all the feels. There's a great TED talk about exactly this, but from a female producer's perspective. Yay! Inside How to Translate the Feeling into Sound, Rachel Claudio shares how she's been obsessed with this phenomenon since she can remember. She describes this as, and I quote, the taking of something in the inner world, silent, formless and finding a way to convert it into a shareable, perceptible sonic language. She talks beautifully on this topic, by the way, so I highly recommend checking out the whole presentation. The link is in the show notes. And Claudio uses the example of D minor and how this key so universally evokes a feeling of melancholy. But what I think is really interesting is how she believes that the key doesn't carry the sadness. It is us who carry the sadness. The music just allows us to feel the emotion more vividly and immediately, but it will always have our own unique emotional fingerprint. She states that the ability to translate emotions into sound is, and I quote again, a powerful thing in a world where we don't always have the tools or the context to express the fullness of who we are. I can so relate to that. I probably, like you, dear listener, can really articulate the fullness of me or my experience in my everyday life. Music has been the space I've been most able, or just even better able, to do this. It was this realisation that led Claudio to learn the language of music production because, through her exploration of translating feelings into sound, she realised that just as importantly as the craft of songwriting, production is a vital part of communicating this too. This was also the same for me. I have also eagerly listened out for how the way a recording is put together beyond its songwriting content communicates emotion in such vast and subtle ways. It's maybe the most exciting thing about production to me and I believe it is a skill that we can continue to hone and develop. Being intentional about the emotional potential at your fingertips while recording and producing music will always yield your most heart-stopping, palpable music. And to illustrate what I mean, dear listener, I'd like to draw an analogy between recording a piece of music and making a film. You see, I was listening to The Film Programme on Radio 4. No, I don't listen to any other radio station, I am that person. And actor and producer David Oyelowo was talking about the advice he was given when he embarked on his directorial debut for his film The Waterman. One thing that stuck with me was how filmmaker Ava Devonnet advised him to make sure that every single scene and aspect of his film was infused with the theme of that movie. So, for example, when she was making the film Selma, the theme was overcoming obstacles, and in every scene, inside every character, the theme needed to be present to effectively communicate that to an audience. So, when we're recording and producing a piece of music, we need to have that theme, which likely has emotion at its core, woven throughout not just the interlocking sonic elements but the intention we bring throughout the whole creative and technical process. Like when directing a film, this is maybe one of the most effective ways we can translate emotion into sound during the production process, and sound back into emotion when others experience it in turn. But how do you do that? How do you weave emotional intention into the different stages of making a record? Well... Luckily for you, I'm not going to leave you hanging, dear listener. Here are three emotion-driven production techniques that you can use in your recording projects. So the first one is thinking about where and how you capture audio. Because where we record affects the sonic information of the audio we capture, lots of reflections can signify a larger space, but also a sense of liveness and even realness and authenticity. A more dead sound, however, can feel intimate, even professional, or maybe even hyper-real. Our brains will attach emotion to all this information, and depending on what else is going on musically, the emotion may be perceived as anything from unimportant to deeply meaningful. For example, if something is miked closely in a well-treated recording space, a perceived intimacy might feel comforting or soothing but depending on the other sonic elements in the track, it could also feel oppressive or even creepy. Our brains will translate this incredibly fast and often subconsciously, but it's still a great thing to be aware of when you're next setting up to record, because where you record and how you use your mics will change how a listener might emotionally connect with your music. And just like Ava Devaney advises of making films, you can intentionally weave in the emotional theme of your music right from the beginning when you start recording. My second emotion-driven production technique is using audio effects with emotional intention. Once we have our recordings and any other sonic material we might be working with, such as samples or MIDI files, we also have lots of emotional tools at our fingertips in the form of audio effects. This is where most people start making emotionally driven production choices and you've likely used effects like reverb and delay to do this yourself too. So I'm not going to cover too many plugin cliches here. Instead of giving you a formulaic this plugin makes people feel like this type of advice, I'm going to set you a little challenge that will give you so much more confidence making these judgments for yourself. So I challenge you to take an audio file of your choice. It could just be a vocal you've recorded or even your favourite piece of music by another artist. It really can be anything. And once you have this loaded in your DAW, digital audio workspace, so Pro Tools, Logic, etc. Choose a simple audio effect from your plugins, such as a reverb for example. Now apply this to your audio file and listen to how its character changes as you move the parameters of this plugin. To be clear, by parameters I mean all the dials and knobs you can change in your plugin to alter the qualities of this effect. So in your reverb plugin, you'll likely have dials for room size or diffusion time for example. All these parameters will slightly alter the feeling of the sound. So like I said before, apply a plugin to your audio file and listen to how its character changes as you move the parameters of this plugin. How does it make you feel emotionally? Can you articulate how its emotional meaning changes as you play with this plugin and its parameters? Just spending a little time doing this will give you so much more confidence using your plugins in general but also intentionally infusing emotions into your production approach too. Do this with any plugin you like. Some will have really obvious effects like reverb and delay, but others might be more subtle, like subtle compression, for example. And lastly, my final tip is thinking about spatializing sound to maximise your music's emotional punch. So now we've applied some effects, what about the mixing phase? Can we infuse our music with emotion here too? Well, the answer is a big, fat yes. There's so many ways that you can do this, not least through things like using volume and effects automation, for example. But I thought it would be interesting to think about how spatialising our music might pack an emotional punch. Now, most of us don't have a fancy eight channel setup or an ambisonic sonic lab to get freaky with spatialization, but there's still a lot we can do in stereo at home. In fact, even very simple choices about how and where we spatialize the sonic elements in our work can be highly effective at communicating emotionally with our listeners. There's a really interesting PhD thesis by acoustics academic Ana Tejidora Jiménez, which goes into how we are affected emotionally by where sound is spaced in our field of listening. She states that, and I quote, "'Physical distance to objects modulates intensity of emotional responses, with close sounds being perceived as arousing, intimate and engaging.'" Interestingly, According to Anna, some research suggests that sounds specialized outside of what our brain would expect to be outside of our field of vision, so hard left, hard right and behind the listener, elicit a greater emotional response. Now this could be because our primal monkey mind uses more of its attention on deciding what might be making these sounds beyond our usual field of vision, even in an environment where all the sound is separated from its source, as in the case of a recording. These primal functions still dictate how we emotionally interpret sound. And if you want to keep geeking out on sound specialisation and emotion, the link to Anna's thesis is in the show notes. But let's get practical with all her wonderful knowledge bombs, because they're actually really helpful for infusing your mixes with emotion. So maybe you want to elicit a sense of uneasiness and trepidation in your music. Placing certain sounds outside of your listener's usual visual field will help their brain pay closer attention to them subconsciously and help trigger more emotionally attentive responses. Maybe your track, however, plays with a conflict of intimacy and distance in a relationship, for example. Maybe you could move between close and wide spatialization to mirror this in your mix and help your listener to really feel what your words and music are describing. Or perhaps you're making a record that's all about good vibes and elevating your listener's mood. Maybe spatializing your sound elements close but not too close and within what would be their visual field will help them to subconsciously relax into the music and feel all those good feels. Spatialization, even just in stereo, can have a profound impact on how effectively you communicate emotion in your music. I hope that all of these three tips alone show just how many ways we can intentionally weave emotion into our work at every stage of the recording and production process. We can infuse our recordings with emotional meaning in so many ways, both obviously and subtly. Together. These production decisions will add up to music that you feel authentically communicates your creative vision and truly stops listeners in their tracks and speaks to their soul. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, we're rarely in any one emotional state – We're likely feeling a mix of feelings and we'll want to communicate that in our music. And this is when using a variety of production approaches informed by the principles we've outlined in this episode allows us to present emotional complexity in our music, which can be really creative and exciting for us and our listeners. And for many of us, that's the goal, right? So we covered a lot, dear listener. I just can't help myself from geeking out whenever I do these solo episodes here on the podcast, and I hope it's given you some fresh ideas for translating emotion through sound. Whether it's how our brains emotionally relate to sound based on the attention it demands, how music and sound can express our feelings, or why this process can be so emotionally healing and cathartic as a listener. There is no denying that making recording and production decisions with emotion in mind should be top of your list. I also believe that approaching the technology we use to practically do this from the position of communicating emotion should always come before getting into the nitty-gritty technical weeds. Don't get me wrong, technical know-how is important and I would always advocate honing your craft – But being emotionally literate when it comes to sound and its human meaning will enable you to make better technical decisions sooner in your recording and production journey. And if you're a newbie to recording and production and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by all the possibilities for exploring this in your own work, I advise you just to focus on one of the three techniques that I shared with you today. Whether it's recording in different spaces, feeling your way around your doors effects plugins, or spatializing your mixes, listen for how this emotionally changes the character of your music. And remember that you're not on your own, because as well as this podcast and its glamorous host, which is obviously me, by the way, you also have a female producer spirit guide. I know who knew. Take my 40 second quiz to discover your music production sister from another Mr Perfect Fit, based on your specific musical preferences, and get a free tailored PDF guide filled with all her tips and tools. Just go to femalediymusician.com forward slash quiz, that's diymusician.com forward slash quiz to get started now. And this is usually the part where I tell you what's coming up on the podcast next week, but... There won't be a new episode now for a whole month. I know how are we going to cope because here at girls twiddling knobs hQ we're taking a little breather. We have some exciting things coming up which need some planning and attention, and rest assured I'll be sharing more with you when I'm back. But for now, don't be a stranger. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast and leave a rating or review to let me know what you've most loved about the podcast so far or what you'd like to hear more about in future episodes too. This podcast is for you, dear listener, so I want to know what you're loving and what you're craving too. But for now, take care and I'll catch you here soon. girls twiddling knobs is hosted and produced by me isabel anderson with production support from francesca o'connor and is a female diy musician production so how do you like that episode dear listener if you loved it And you know someone else who would love it too. Be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.